Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. Lord Baelish. Eater, please. Are you heading to listen to Binge Mode? I'm going to the Irie to see your Aunt Lysa and the Veil. She's sensitive, so I feel I feel compelled to tell you that Binge Mode features adult content. Good, good. Very graphic at times. Good. I know how she is around Moon Doors, so wanted to warn you just in case. And now, here's Binge Mode. And what about what I want? Justice for my sister and her children. If you want justice, you've come to the wrong place. I disagree. I've come to the perfect place. I want to bring those who have wronged me to justice, and all those who have wronged me are right here. I will begin with Sir Gregor Clegane, who killed my sister's children and then raped her with their blood still on his hands before killing her too. I will be your champion. And welcome to Binge Mode. Welcome. I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. Joining me today, now that he's finished helping Melisandre find her favorite bubble bath. Oh, not that one. That one will burn your hand off. It's Ringer staff writer and your maester. Hello. Jason Concepcion. Woo! Jason? What's up? Nothing isn't better or worse than anything. Right. Nothing is just nothing. That's right. But we've got something. We've got binge mode. We're rewatching all 60 episodes of Game of Thrones, deep diving one episode at a time. Spoiler warning for all of you. We will be going deep on details from the show and the books from this season and beyond. So stitch up your wounds because it's time to break down season four, episode seven, Mockingbird. Jason? Yeah. Brutality is all binge mode subscribers have ever known. <laughs> if you want them to know something else, you'll have to show them. So let's offer a brief refresher on what actually happened in this episode by taking a quick trip down our very own King's Road. In King's Landing, down in the dungeons, Jamie wants to know why Tyrion blew up the deal he had just hammered out with their dear old dad. Tyrion couldn't stand to hear Shay lie about him. Tyrion wonders who Cersei's champion will be. Uh, bad news, bad news. It's Sir Gregor Clegane, the mountain. Bronn visits the dungeons, dressed suspiciously in clothes that are much too expensive for him. Doskin gloves hanging from his sash. That dope cape. Tyrion's best possible champion has been bought off. And then... Is that the Red Viper of Dawn's music? Prince Oberyn agrees to be Tyrion's champion. Ah, oh, what a great, 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 great moment. Love that. Yeah. Less great. Less great things happening on the road to the Vale where Rorge and Biter are back. You guys remember them, right? <laughs> they <laughs> attack the Hound at a farmhouse where he and Arya have just put an old ailing farmer out of his misery. Biter, spoiler alert, guys, bites the Hound who then kills Biter viciously. Rorge gives our travelers some helpful info. Joff is dead. Arya then 
learns his name, and stops his heart. In Castle Black, John and the volunteers return from the raid against the mutineers. Thorne makes John lock Ghost in a closet. Boo! Later, Snow briefs the brothers in the mess hall. He recommends sealing the tunnel against Mance's attack. Thorne disagrees and assigns Snow and Sam to the top of the wall. Over in Marine, Slaver's Bay. Guys, there's some sex happening. Sex. Dario strides right off the cover of a romance novel and in through Danny's window, top the Great Pyramid of Marine. He's bearing a bouquet of wildflowers, had to swim a mile <laughs> offshore to pick them for her. Dario has a simple request. I'm good at two things, war and women. Can't do either Ooh. here. Danny's about to fix one of those. Bow. Pours herself a glass Bow. of wine. Bow. Bow. And orders Dario to strip as Genuine's pony <laughs> blasts across the city. Tough, tough moment Very the tough. morning after when Dario doing a little walk of shame. and Walk of pride, extreme pride. Walk of pride, <laughs> walk of shame, walk of pride. Probably smelling like very recent coitus. Crosses paths with Jorah who looks utterly despondent. Yeah. Jorah enters Danny's chambers. You're here early. Yeah. Later than some. And wonders if it's wise to trust Dario. She says it's just about the stick, my dude. (laughs) (laughs) And anyway, she sent him and the second sons over to Yunkai to get that shit back together. Jorah's happy that Dario's leaving town, but a little bit concerned about some of the methods that Danny is espousing here. Can't always be about brutality and punitive measures. Gotta be about statecraft. Danny decides to send his dar as one of her ambassadors. <laughs> On Dragonstone, Melisandre, Sans Necklace, is taking a nice hot bath when Queen Selyse comes a-calling. Does the queen, a true believer in the light of her lore, see Mel's true form? Melisandre shows her her potions and poisons and insists that Princess Shireen accompany them on the trip. Meanwhile, the inn at the crossroads on the King's Road, Brienne and Pod stop for a bite. Decent night's sleep. Just don't go expecting silk under things now, Pod. (laughs) And who should they meet but Hot Pie? Hot Pie! Whose new show, Pie Boss, will be debuting this summer on Food Network and streaming at Winter Hell. One thing leads to another, and the pie ends up telling them after Brienne controversially drops that they're out there looking for Sansa. He comes out and he tells them, I don't know about Sansa, but I do know Arya. Big win. Big piece of Huge. intel for Brienne and Pod. Arya's alive. She's out there. Pod putting some pieces together, deduces where she might be headed. The Vale. The, the Vale. In the Eyrie, seat of House Aaron of the Vale, in the castle's snowy garden, Peter tells Sansa why he killed Druffer. He says he did it for Cat. Kind of a lie. Then he kisses her. Gross. Lysa, standing <laughs> ominously next to the moon door, confronts Sansa about the Baelish smooch. Littlefinger ends up pushing her through the moon door. Mal, making honest feelings do dishonest work is one of Cersei's many, many gifts. Mm. She's never, she never loses sight of her goal. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's cut right to the core of it. The defining theme of this episode is obsession. Goals are a positive thing in life. Yeah. They keep a person moving in a particular direction and give a life structure, any goal worth achieving. Becoming a maester, becoming a knight, winning a battle requires dedication. But there is a point where dedication becomes something else. When commitment takes on an agency all its own to the detriment of all else, 
that's obsession. Obsession really drives the primary plots in this episode. Mm -hmm. And as is so often the case, we see a lot of the central themes playing out among the Lannisters. Tyrion could not follow Jamie's pretty straightforward trial instructions, right? Ask for mercy. Right. Go to the wall. That's it. Keep your mouth shut. And you live. Pretty straightforward stuff. Very easy stuff. Tyrion couldn't do it. Why? Because one of the driving forces of his life is the way that Tywin treated Taisha. Yeah. Do you want to give people like a 30-second mini-del sure. about this? Taisha was Tyrion's first wife, low-born girl, who, when Tywin found out about her, had her seized um, brought to the Lannister barracks and had her basically gang raped by the entire uh, Lannister barracks. This Shay charade, yes. what, what Tyrion perceives as a charade playing mm-hmm. out to his father's benefit and his detriment, it brings all of that presumably flooding back. Mm-hmm. And he says to Jamie when he's explaining what went wrong here, I couldn't listen to her standing there telling her lies. I couldn't do it. Jamie says, you fell in love with a whore. Tyrion, yes, I fell in love with the whore, and I was stupid enough to think that she'd fallen in love with me. Now, of course, she had. She seems genuinely to have felt betrayed by Tyrion forcing her away, even though it was for her own safety. She couldn't see that at the time. A lot of confusion here, a lot of needless hatred and misery. But honestly, that's that's the story of much of Game of Thrones. Tyrion has another obsession, not just his love for these women, but the desire to hurt his father. And those things are very deeply intertwined, right? Tyrion tells Jamie that he just couldn't stomach, could (laughs) not stomach Tywin getting what he wanted, right? He gets you back, his future heir, and he ships me off to Castle Black out of sight at last. All so perfect. It felt good to take that away from him. He knows I'm innocent and he's willing to sacrifice me anyway. You know, Tyrion, of course, is also obsessed with getting to speak freely, Mm -hmm. with getting to say his piece. And you can see how he relishes what he said to the onlookers at the trial, right? Saying to Jamie, at least I got to tell them what they really are. Right. And Jamie... I think there's a yeah. very good job of of telling Tyrion how meaningless right, that yeah. display was. Oh yeah, that's was. really going to change stuff, guy. Right? He he like brilliant speech. They'll be talking about it for, <laughs> for days, days to, to come. come. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were a realist. Didn't realize you'd die for pride. That's a real dagger. It's also from very, Jamie to Tyrion. Extremely observant from his brother. Um, and contrary to Tyrion's typical character. Yeah, you know, and Tyrion is like, hey, listen, uh, we're not through. I've got Bronn. Yeah. That's his last card to play. He can ask, I can ask Bronn to be of course, my champion. Of course, first he's like, you'll fight for me. Right? I, could, I didn't have you at the Eerie, but here you are now. Right. And he's like, well, you know. I can barely wipe my own ass. Yeah. Number one, I'm not a good fighter anymore. Number two, I'm a king, so I can't do this. So Tyrion has Bronn to help him fulfill his obsession to get revenge against his father, to really show up Cersei and Tywin in a very, very public way. Uh, Bronn has other ideas. Cersei, she understands what Tyrion might do, and she got to him. Offered him a rich marriage. He shows up in nice clothes. Uh, looks like that's off the table. Bronn, and there's no other There's no other way for him to survive his life, has always been obsessed with improving his station, with moving up one rung on the ladder at a time. His, his obsession is his own ambition, and to his credit, 
uh, he's he's really always been that guy. He aligned with Tyrion, not out of the goodness of his heart, not because he's like, oh, I see, right. I see a wrong that must be uh, avenged here. No, he's was out. Of, he wanted money. He wanted the gold. He took a chance on on Tyrion at the Eyrie, and it, and it paid off. So when he rejects Tyrion, you know, Tyrion's hurt by this on one level. One misstep, and I'm dead. Why should I risk it? Bronn says, because I'm your friend. Mm-hmm. And by the way, when Tyrion says this. He he understands how ridiculous sure. it is to Bron- say that. Bronn's comeback is perfection. <laughs> right. And Bronn says, I am your friend. And when have you ever risked your life for me? Great question. Very true. Uh, you know, and ultimately, there's a respect there. They understand what their relationship sure. is to each other. You know, Bronn says, I'm sorry it has to be this way. And Tyrion says, why are you sorry? Because you're an evil bastard <laughs> with no conscience or heart. That's what I liked about you in the first place, so that good. mutual respect. So, so good. good. And here's the thing that's working in Tyrion's favor. Yeah. Very few things are working in Tyrion's favor right now. But this one thing is, he's not the only person nope. in King's Landing at the moment who is obsessed with making Tywin pay. Yeah. That was the Red Vipers music we heard, Jason. It really was. Because Oberyn is here for it. He even says when he goes to visit Tyrion, I didn't know that there was someone who wanted to kill Lannisters more than I did. Here's the amazing part, though. Because <laughs> yeah. in the context of the conversation yeah. we're having right now, you could say, oh, he's, you know, Tyrion wanting to kill Tywin or Tywin wanting to kill right. Tyrion. He's actually talking about Cersei yeah. wanting to kill Tyrion. <laughs> Great family. Yeah. Great family. But Oberyn opens up. This is an incredible. Incredible yeah, it's scene. a great, 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 great. Zach's scene. gonna yell at me. It's a top five scene. It's a, it's really up. It's there. one of the four hundred fifty top five scenes, and just like top notch acting within the context. Of the so show. incredible, it's great. just so incredible, so dramatic, so compelling, really riveting. On the edge of our seats, even knowing what was coming, and Oberyn opens with a little trip down memory lane. Yeah. He tells Tyrion about meeting him as a baby. Yeah. Disappointing trip. Didn't like the rock at all. Didn't like the food. Didn't like anything about it. But the biggest disappointment. You. Why? Well, he'd heard legend right. of this monster, the myth yeah. of Huge Tyrion. head, tail. Finally sees him. Yeah. And what's his cool. reaction? We didn't try to hide our disappointment. That's not a monster, I told Cersei. That's just a baby. And she said he killed my mother. And she pinched your little cock so hard I thought she might pull it off until your brother made her stop. It doesn't matter, she told us. Everyone says he will die soon. I hope they are right. He should not have lived this long. Agonizing. We know how Cersei feels about Tyrion. She has said to him before, you know, what what greater joke than you coming into the world and killing our mother? None of this is a secret, but there's something gut-wrenching about knowing that she was just speaking this way to strangers. Yeah. That her hatred for for Tyrion was so ever-present and so deeply rooted that she actually wished him death before he even could act or think or behave. Yeah, she's hated him since literally the day he was born. So brutal. And as agonizing as that exchange is, it sets up an iconic, iconic moment, you know, What's Tyrion's response to that, to to the reveal that Cersei wanted him dead when he was a baby? Well, sooner or later, Cersei always gets what she wants. Oberyn doesn't see it that way at all. This is his opportunity. This is what he's been waiting for. This is where the obsession that has propelled not only this trip to King's Landing, but his entire adult life since the end of Robert's Rebellion has led him to this moment, this decision, this proclamation, this opportunity— 
I disagree. I've come to the perfect place. I want to bring those who have wronged me to justice, and all those who have wronged me are right here. Pauses, goes over, picks up the torch, yeah. sort of swoops it down in front of his face for extra dramatic yeah. flair. I will be your champion. Chills. Yeah, that's so good. Chills. Tyrion so cries. Good. Like, what else could he do? I know. We cry watching at home. Well, why? Why in the prior episode did Oberyn lean forward in his chair when Tyrion demanded trial by combat? It's because he saw his yeah, window. This is it. This his, is my chance. This is it. His obsessive thirst to avenge his sister Elia, her children, Aegon and Rhaenyse. How fierce must your desire be if you're going to put your life on the line against one of the most feared yeah. and fabled fighters in the realm, nominally at least, to defend a person? Tyrion, who comes from the family that you hate more than anything else in the world. That's he's not yeah. doing it for Tyrion, obviously, but wow. It really I mean it is a perfect moment for him and you explained it so well. I mean, what is what is going through Oberyn's mind before Tyrion asks for trial by combat? He's probably thinking, well, I guess I could poison the mountain right. or slip into Tywin's chambers at night. That would be satisfying to an extent, but it's not public enough in the way that he wants it to be. It's not, yeah, it's not, it's not uh, an admission of guilt from those who are guilty. Totally, it's right. It's it's exact. That's exactly right. It's two things. This is a way to get not only the satisfaction of killing the people right. who did this, or at least one of the, the people, and to get the confession that he'll attempt right. to get, but he can get his revenge under the cloak of legitimacy. Right. It's within the frame. It's within a framework, a structure that allows him should he win and kill the mountain, to walk away. He's not a murderer in the eyes of the law. Incredible. Yes. Incredible stuff. You know who's not walking away? <laughs> well, he's walking bow-legged. <laughs> a lot going on in Marine. A lot of swimming. A lot, a lot of going on yeah. in Marine. Swimming through the sea <sighs> of love with Daenerys Stormborn, Dario. Yeah. When do you make this move? This guy is so insolent in a way that is intensely flirty. And if it wasn't for the fact that he knew Danny was into it, this guy would have been beheaded a long time. He, like, he breaks into the queen's room at, you know, it, at dawn. <laughs> Great part is when he's bragging, right? He yeah. wants to impress her. Like, I, I swam mile offshore. She says, don't do that again. Right. <laughs> But when he's saying, you know, I've got two talents. When we talk about obsession as something that overwhelms your sense of propriety and what is normal and what is a normal way to act, I would say that swimming a mile offshore to gather flowers and then breaking into the room of the queen to try and get it in is obsession. He shows up there. Works for him. He says, I came to ask a favor. You know, and of course, we know what that is. I only have two talents in this war. War and women. You're staying here in Marine to rule. That's a wise decision. I respect it. But here in Marine, I can't pursue my talents. <laughs> oh, what are those? Send me to kill your enemies. Let me do what I do best. Very well. Do what you do best. Then Danny, like a fucking pimp. Incredible. Pours a tall goblet of wine. Sits back down. Takes a sip. Mm. Very well. Do what you do best. Take off your clothes. And he does. And he does, because she's the <laughs> queen. Uh, the next morning, Dario's walk of shame. It's, it's a walk of pride. Let's, be, let's face it. The guy's like, his, like, his shirt is like open to the navel. He's like tying his belt. And then here comes Jorah straight out of the friend zone. Oh, God. 
man, what a moment for those two. Are you here to see our queen? <laughs> Dario says, she's in a good mood. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so brutal for Jorah. That's yeah. so brutal. Oh uh, my God. You know, and Jorah comes in and kind of uh, has the sort of a dad talk <laughs> with Danny. You don't approve, she says. It's not a question of approval. It's a question of trust. Jorah ob- is obsessed with being the rock of Danny's life. He wants, like, later on, when he talks her into taking a more temperate path against Yunkai and Astapor, um, and she says, tell, uh, tell Dario that I changed my mind. No, I, actually, tell him you changed my mind. That's a great moment. There's like this pride that comes, oh. that just oh, like God. beams from this man's body. You know, he's obsessed with just being the wise, steady advisor. He notes that he sold men into slavery and that if Ned had acted as severely with Jorah as Danny is acting towards the right. masters of Slaver's Bay, Jorah wouldn't have a head. He'd be gone. And he, you know, there's every once in a while in Game of Thrones, uh, a character will say a line that kind of boils down some kind of elemental something about this story into just a, a line of dialogue. And here Jorah does that. He says, it's tempting to see your enemies as evil, all of them. But there's good and evil on every side at every war ever fought. And that's wise, wise words. And Danny uh, would do well to look to the potential evil on her side. Um, and he gets through to her. You know, she decides to send Hisdar, which is like a, a win-win because Hisdar sucks and you don't want him in the oh, city. Let's get yeah. this guy out of here. You can go to freaking Astapur and Yunkai and go talk to people. And then she talks about the choice that she's giving the masters. They can live in my new world or they can die in their old one. Danny's obsessed with figuring out how to rule. And, you know, it's it's important to remember it was taken as a given that it was Viserys who would rule, not her. And this feeling of the dragon of her Targaryen lineage, of being a queen, of being a person in power, grew gradually over the course of that first season. And now it's the fully animating principle of her life. She's also obsessed now that she has found comfort with that new right. role with achieving her objective. And in that, in this case, it's, you know, slavery is real. I can end it. I will end it. I will end those behind it. She is completely committed to that goal. She trusts Jorah enough to relax her approach, but she's not actually bending on her core mission. And neither is Arya, who remains as committed to her list as ever. And, you know, she and the Hound are are out on the road together. So they come across an old man who they find in front of a burned hut. And he's wounded, you know, wound in the gut. And it's it's not it's not going to end well. You know, right. they'll, they'll tell him that's not healing. And they put him out of his misery after a nice little chat. And the Hound uses this moment to teach Arya a lesson. You know, that's where the heart is. That's yeah. how you kill a man. And as he's speaking, this is when Biter and Rorge attack, and Biter takes a little chunk out of the Hound's <laughs> neck, and Rorge is there, too, for the helpful explanation that there's a bounty on the Hound's head, killing Lannister soldiers. Oh, by the way, Joffrey is dead. And Arya, she recognizes them as Yorin's prisoners, the two guys who were in that wagon with Jockin. <laughs> Great moment when the Hound says, this day is really not working out the way you planned. <laughs> And she then he turns to Arya and says, he's on your little list. Arya says, can't be. Don't know his name. The Hound says, what's your name? And like an idiot, Rorsch just offers it up. Rorsch. Yeah. Arya, not missing a beat. Thank you. And then she stabs him in the heart. Very quick study as usual. The Hound turns to her. You're learning. This is very haunting, but also sweet. Yeah, they really are 
bonding. There's a and strange relationship there. The the reason that the scenes between them, you know, work so well together and the reason that they're coming to begrudgingly respect and maybe even care about each other even as they hate each other is they're really not all that different. Yeah. They are both motivated by their obsessions and those obsessions stem from hurts and betrayals that are driving forces in their entire lives. You know, when Arya offers to stitch up the hound and to use fire to disinfect, to cauterize the wound, he freaks out, right? No fire, no no fire. fire. And then he just launches into story time and starts sharing. You know, your brother gave you that sword. My brother gave me this, points to his scarred face and tells the story about what happened when he was a child. And he he ends that tale by saying, you think you're on your own. And it's, an incredibly sad, vulnerable really moment is. for, you know, theoretically one of the strong, staunch figures in the story. And it's a reminder that they're both fueled by these familial losses, this haunting hurt from childhood that continues to propel every decision that they make. Hey, guys, just a quick break to tell you about our sponsor, Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. And now, back to binge mode. And then there's whatever's going on between Lysa. 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 And Littlefinger. which eerie. Is You're on. <laughs> fueled by an obsession so fierce, so deadly that it gets its own Moondor-sized section. So we know that Liza loves Littlefinger so fiercely that she has literally killed for him, right? Shattered earbuds, eerie wide with her orgasmic sex screams. (laughs) We know that they got busy back in the day, too, thanks to her not-so-cryptic comment about sharing a wedding night long ago. We know that Littlefinger loved Cat, not Lysa, which sounds very complicated. Yes. So we have a lot of information, but this all comes to a head in this episode. So in order to fully appreciate these obsessions and to fully appreciate what transpired in the Eerie in this episode, we need to understand the history that fueled it. So Maester, yes. if you'd be so kind, please push the crates of lemon aside. Mm. Kick down the snow castles, <laughs> push anyone in your way through the moon door, and assemble the conclave. Let's head to the citadel. Teach us everything we need to know about Littlefinger's upbringing. Littlefinger. You know, self-made men and women are rare in Westeros. This is a feudal society with densely stratified class structures perpetuated by the realm system of inherited wealth. Without the benefit of a strong, wealthy family behind you, breaking into Westeros' 1% necessarily involves the king or another high lord taking notice of you. This is what Stannos did for Davos, for instance, as a reward for his service during Robert's Rebellion. Stanny raised Davos up to lordship and gave him some lands and a little castle. It's really more like a tower fort. And, you know, there's like villagers on there and they pay homage to Davos. Uh, Davos got to pick his sigil, etc., Aegon the Conqueror created numerous new lords amongst his supporters as a reward for uh, their loyalty during his invasion of Westeros, including Oris Baratheon, Aegon's bastard half-brother and the founder of the Baratheon line, 
and Harlan Tyrell, former high steward of the then ruling Gardner family and the progenitor of the Tyrells. That's an interesting story. We'll get into that later. Littlefinger's family found a more scuffling way to acquire nobility. His great-grandfather was a Bravosi mercenary. His grandfather was a hedge knight, which means uh, he was knighted by someone, by a lord, and but he didn't have a job. He was basically a homeless knight. Uh, and they're called hedge knights because they're itinerant warriors with no consistent income. They basically sleep outside. And, you know, if a hedge knight is wandering down the road and you've got some extra coin, you say, hey, uh, my farmstead is uh, bedeviled by robbers. Will you come here and I'll pay you X amount of coin and you fight them off there. That's how they make their money. Peter's father somehow had managed to acquire a very, very, very small lordship. He found himself as lord of the smallest of the fingers, which is an area of rocky finger-like peninsulas on the coast of the Vale. During the War of the Nine Penny Kings, Daddy Baelish made the acquaintance of Lord Hoster Tully, Catenlice's father. So this is how it came to pass that Peter Baelish, scion of the smallest house of the Vale, became a ward of the household of Hoster Tully. Now, it was there in that the idyllic confines of Riverrun that a teenage Baelish fell madly in love with Catherine Stark. It was an unrequited love triangle. Baelish in love with Cat, Cat in love with Brandon Stark, Ned's big brother, and Cat's then betrothed, and Lysa in love with Baelish. So during a feast one evening, Peter danced several dances with Cat, feeling his blood up. He moved in for the kiss and she rejected him. Brutal. Baelish did what most 15-year-old boys did. He drowned his sorrows in goblets of wine and blacked out. Had to be carried up to his chamber, ironically, by Brandon Stark. Lysa saw an opportunity. She crept into Baelish's room and took advantage of the drunken boy. This is the wedding night from long ago that Lysa mentions uh, an episode back. So Gradually, Peter's angst over Cat and Brandon's relationship curdled into recklessness. When Cat and Brandon's wedding date was officially announced, Baelish responded by challenging Brandon to a duel, which he lost. I mean, Brandon Stark was the heir to Winterfell, trained by Lord Ricard and the Stark Master of Arms to carry on the family legacy. Uh, you know, Peter Baelish was the son of a, the smallest Lord of the Fingers. This is never going to be competitive. Stark sent Baelish to his room covered in lots of wounds, the deepest of which was really to his pride. Littlefinger learned a great lesson that day, though. Swords are for high lords and anointed knights. His best weapons would be his mind, his cunning, and his generally unthreatening appearance. Boy, explains so much about how Littlefinger acts, who he is, why we never yeah. see him shirtless, etc. And uh, now... In the care of young Robin, who wants everyone to know that living on the ground floor seems quite dangerous. Yes. But Blessed Baylor will keep us safe. So let's head to the Sept. Let's bathe in the light of the Seven by sharing seven of our favorite insights and observations from this episode. Lightning round style. Number one, Melisandre, when she's talking to Queen Selyse, she says, after insisting that Shireen needs to come on their trip, you are strong enough to look into the Lord's light and see his truth for yourself. However harsh it is, however hard it is for us to understand, you don't need my help, but I will need yours soon. When we set sail, your daughter must be with us. The Lord needs her. Did she know all along that she'd have to burn Shireen? It seems from that scene that Mel knew. My question was more, does Celise know? And she is must- she just fine with it the entire time. And of course, spoiler alert, but her reaction to when this actually happens, she literally kills herself. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's one of the most, that scene is 
so heartbreaking and absolutely just mind-bendingly brutal because, and not in no small part because, uh, spoiler again, Solis is one of the most fervent followers of Melisandre's, and she breaks. She's like, no, wait, don't. Wow, what a moment that was. Another really interesting moment in this episode between Mel and Solis, and here's another, here's another spoiler, an old Mel spoiler alert. Yeah. Melisandre is taking a bath when Solis enters, and she is not wearing her necklace, her glowing red ruby, right? Yep. But she does not look old. Why is this? Is yep. your read on this that, as many Redditors have speculated, yeah. Solis is such a true believer that her faith <clears throat> acts as a glamour and blinds her to Melisandre's true form and true nature. Yes, it is. And she, there's a moment where she walks in and she she gives this kind of very cryptic look mm -hmm. towards Melisandre. Right. So yeah, I think I think that's exactly the case. And especially because the conversation is fully about the nature of belief right. and the nature of truth and lies and yeah. when is a lie okay. And right. it's, well, it's all about getting you to opt in. That's yeah. really what Melisandre is saying. And so it all does seem to sort of be of a piece with the idea that Solis would just, she's in so deep that it doesn't even matter. Melisandre doesn't have to bother with the potions and the powders that yeah. she's talking about. They're already baked in to this entire interaction and this experience. Number three. Tyrion with Jamie in the dungeon. Mm. He says to Jamie, Not you, you're the golden son. You could kill the king, lose a hand. Fuck your own sister. You'll always be the golden son. Jamie <laughs> says, Careful. I'm the last friend you got. It's interesting and it tells you a lot about the relationship that Jamie hears that probably every day for his whole life for the last 20 years from everyone he meets. Um, but from Tyrion, that's too far. Well, what is the nature of their bond? Yeah. It's why why does Tyrion love Jamie so much? It's because Jamie is one of the one of the maybe the only person who actually just accepts Tyrion yeah, for who they he understand is. each other. There's no judgment. Yeah. And so that statement is is a judgment and it actually it hurts Jamie. Number four, when John and Co. return from their mission back at Castle Black, mm -hmm. and Thorn sees Ghost. He does not react the way that we did nope. when we saw Ghost, and we're oh, overjoyed. Yeah. Literally, it just tears of joy. Tears of joy that Ghosty was back in our lives. What does that asshole Thorn say? This is no place for wild beasts. Lock him away, or I'll have Hob throw him in tonight's stew. Two things. One, what a fucking asshole. A jerk. Number two, though, major foreshadowing here. One of the questions that we get a lot from listeners, yeah, why aren't the direwolves around more? Yeah, right. Where spoiler alert? Where's Ghost? Why is Ghost locked up when John finds himself in a bit of a situation at the end of season <laughs> five? You know, where was Grey Wind during the Red Wedding, etc. Well, things like this happen, and the show in this moment actually very effectively does a good job of yeah. setting the stage for this. Totally, people who are around John are not comfortable with a direwolf roaming free. Lock him up. Well, if he's locked up, he can't come to John's defense. Number five, cut to Gregor Clegane. Killing people, prisoners probably from the dungeons, I guess. They arm, they arm them, and this is what Gregor does to keep in shape for sport. Cersei watches this, stepping over guts. She goes over and talks to him. She says, you seem to be in good form. Uh, Gregor says, who am I fighting? He knows that he's about to be her champion. She says, does it matter? And he just slowly shakes his head. The mountain. Scary guy. Very chilling. Number six. Equally chilling. Hot Pie's <laughs> new confidence. Yeah, dude. I don't like this. 
<laughs> couldn't wait. Yeah. Couldn't wait to talk about how to make a a steak and kidney pie. This fucking guy. So good when he follows them back outside to right. tell them about Aria. And he's like, you know, I've got I've got something to, that I wanted to <laughs> right. chat about. And Brian's like, God, not more about pie, please. <laughs> but when he's sitting at the table talking about the pie, he has this amazing moment of sincere, just <laughs> genuine pride in his craft. Yeah. He says, a lot of people give up on the gravy. You cannot give up. On the gravy. Keep Never. that in mind, folks. Never. This this might be. He's obsessed with the gravy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This might be a deeper insight into the, the meaning of life and the nature of survival and success, but it, it's also probably just about gravy. Number seven, Melisandre and Queen Solis. You know, Solis is looking over various potions that Melisandre has on her rack, her shelves. Excuse say, me. I mean, we... Her shelving. And. <laughs> Uh, Melisandre says about one particular potion, a drop of this in any man's wine will drive him wild with lust. And Queen Solis says, did you use it with Stannis? Melisandre with a dagger, no. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, really rough. You know, Mel, given the opportunity, what do we do to those who hurt the ones we love? We find people pushing those monsters through the moon door and award their courage. Yes. Each episode, we're going to honor the person who played the game in advance, his or her cause, in some tangible way. And this week, the winner of our champion's purse is... Littlefinger. Yes! <laughs> Big moves. Peter. By the finger. <laughs> Peter. <laughs> what an episode. What a, a girl, season. A girl of meager schooling. Right? <laughs> Peter. Yeah. What a win. What a win. He comes outside to talk to Sansa after she's she's building a little snow castle, a little Winterfell, and Robin is like, oh, but there's no moon door here. Right. Let me just delicately put one in. Oh, whoops, I ruined your tower. Oh, whoops, I'm going to throw a fit and ruin the whole thing. Sansa slaps him, and Littlefinger comes out to kind of calm the tensions. They start talking about Winterfell. They talk about the nature of home. Right. Sansa says, I'll never see it again. What does Littlefinger say? A lot can happen between now and never. If you want to build a better home, first you must demolish the old one. It's actually really good advice, though yeah. I will say it is slightly ominous right. in, in light of where these characters happen to, your to be. Aunt and the Irie. <laughs> in the current end of season six, yeah. heading into season seven. Point yeah, what of the home story, are we talking about? That makes like, me what, extremely yeah. nervous, actually, thinking back on it now. A hundred percent. But Sansa is, is she sees that he's opening up and she wants to get him to keep sharing, right? Why did you kill Joffrey? Tell me why. His answer is extremely interesting. What does yep. he say to her? And he says, in a better world, one, one where love could overcome strength and duty, you might have been my child, but we don't live in that world. And he touches her hair again, <laughs> a memorable shade. <laughs> You're more beautiful than she ever was. Lord Baelish. Call me Peter. And then they kiss and it's disgusting. And Lisa sees this. Yes, she's watching. But this so, provides the opportunity for him to move it several rungs. It does. We, up the ladder. Before we get to the Liza part, though, yeah. how do you interpret his explanation there? Given the opportunity. What, so why did he kill Joffrey? And he says, given the opportunity, what do we do to those who hurt the ones we love? So he's saying Joffrey hurt cat is responsible for your mother's death. Right. I loved your mother, so I took him out. What's your read on that? My read is that it, it that is as truthful a statement as you will ever get from Baelish. And it's also extremely self-serving in this particular time. You know, he's 
we will see later on um, just how vulnerable Peter is with Sansa. He needs her to cover him. Right. So, you know, I think he's telling the truth here, but he's also he's also spinning his game out a little bit, too. I mean, like he didn't he did not kill Joffrey just because right. Joffrey hurt Cat. Come on. Right. He says he's only ever loved one woman, and that right. might be true, but he doesn't say he's ever only loved one thing. That's and correct. he loves power. Yes. He wants control. So when he goes to confront Liza, who, after witnessing this kiss, basically is trying to take Sansa out, right? She freaks out. Yeah. And he comes in just in the nick of time and says, Liza, let her go. I lied for you. Killed for you. Why did you bring her here? Why? I'll send her away. I swear on my life. I swear on all the gods. Let her go, Lysa. And she does. Yeah. She lets her go. And then what? Oh, my sweet wife. My sweet, silly wife. I have only loved one woman. Only one. She looks like she's going to melt for yeah. a second there. What a fucking idiot. Your sister. <laughs> Boom. Bye-bye. <laughs> and now what? Tough. Now Peter Baelish, in a stroke, He's got in one pocket the key to the north, Sansa Stark. Mm -hmm. And in the other pocket, he's got Sweet Robin, the Lord of the Vale, who he can now act as protector for. Let's not forget, he's also the Lord of Harrenhal. This guy is quickly, he's come from the owner of like of a couple strip clubs to <laughs> <laughs> being in control of, you know, uh, a region of Westeros that has been untouched by these wars that have been going on. All right, guys. We swam to a recording studio a mile offshore to bring you this episode. <laughs> so we hope that you had as much fun as we did today and that you will join us again next time when we will be discussing season four, episode eight, the iconic, so good. blistering, devastating, the mountain and the viper. Until then, remember, you're not interesting enough to be offensive. <laughs> So, Jora, you here to see our queen? She's in a good mood. Don't sit down on anything in there, though. <laughs>